Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. All right. Good morning, everybody. Man, it's so good to see everybody here on our outreach Sunday. Um, I know you smelled the fish when you walked in. And the beans, if you hadn't tried the beans, I was late last night. I was up sauteing the beef and the beans, okay? Yeah, I did that. Yeah, so I I had my... So when you taste the beans, and you know, those are five-star beans, okay? They're on, they're on fire. So make sure, let, me know, let me know what you think about them because I, I, I bought about, what, 10 pounds of beef and I was just sitting there just doing it last night. And so I stored it up, and, but the, they say it's on fire. So praise the Lord. We're glad to have everybody here. But hey, um, this, this, this is a special day. And, and as, as Bronson mentioned, why we're doing what we're doing. And um, he is exactly right. I, I, I'm a very strategic um, thinker for the standpoint of how can we be transformational in, in really bringing heaven to earth uh, to feel God's spirit uh, towards blessing those um, who, who are in the greatest needs and the underserved. Uh, I believe when you a, a rising tide lift all boats, you know, if you start at the bottom, everybody's elevated. So when you serve that, everybody's blessed. So that's why you see today, uh, about two months ago, I asked, Bronson and Callie in our executive meetings, uh, could we elevate what we're trying to do? We normally do two fish and five loaves about every two to three months where we'll serve. And uh, what we noticed was there is a, a population of our neighbors. We, you know, Neil has, has we, we have the new definition of term, love thy neighbor as thyself. So we realize when we put our church here, these are our neighbors that come around here. And so what we're trying to do is love them as we love ourselves. So how can we do that? That's why you see the closing and things out there for the winter that people given and, and donated those. What we don't use today, we'll give those to the Compassion Center so they can have those things to give out for the winter time. We'll prepare for Christmas Mall. That's next that we're getting ready to do to bless the families. Then we'll come back in the spring and start. So as, as outreach facilitator, those are the things strategically that we try to embrace and how we can be transformational, not just be conversational. All right, it's different. Transformation conversation is totally different. You know, it, so that's why when Bronson talks about talking, you know, I said, well, what are we going to be doing? And so that's why I'm grateful to be in this situation uh, to do that. And I want to say probably why I should have been more vocal that you would even know about the, my history with New Life Church, even when I was asked to help start this campus, goes back to meeting Pastor Rick in Africa in 2009. Um, um, and then going to Israel a few months later and being baptized by him. And I probably, most people don't know this, I hold the distinction of baptizing Pastor Rick. And, 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 and I'm going to tell you how, how he called me into the ministry, because I've always considered myself an educational evangelist, but he kind of called me into the ministry because we were getting in line there to Jordan, and so he, he walked up to me and said, Hey, Fitz, I want you to go last. Okay, well, he 
put me in the oh, you want me to go? You put me in the back of the line, so you know. So, <laughs> you know, so and so, but that's and so when I came up there, he had a reason for it. So when I walked up after he got through baptizing everybody, he said, "Hey, God's told me we got you got to step it up a little bit for for representing the Holy Spirit." And he said, um, "I'm calling you up," and um, I never forget. He said, "But in doing that, I need you to baptize me." That changed my life. All the trauma and things I've been through, he was the first person I started talking to it about on that trip. I'd never talked about it before. But when he brought me out of the, out of the, that from the baptism from Jordan, it's like God said, my son, I have work for you to do, but I am proud of you, what you've done to this point. So that's why I'm here today. And I know that's why we're talking on this subject. But one thing I want to say why I should have been more transparent and more forthcoming is that New Life has done so much as a church in investing in the community of Arkansas Baptist College and Martin Luther King Drive that probably nobody knows. I'm mean, talking about in the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars because if you go over to the Dream Center, the YMCA, if you see how that's updated, you want to see little kids after school right now, that's how we're investing and that's how we're doing. So maybe I should champion that more so people will know that. Most people don't know that New Life bought a building on the campus of Arkansas Baptist College in six figures, you know, to 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 be a a a, a facility for ministry that that I'm praying that God will continue to bring to fruition. That kind of those plans were derailed after I stepped down as president, but now as we hope to be able to do that to be transformational, and, and I'm sure God is going to bless it. It's His timing. So. It wasn't that New Life wasn't involved in the conversation because they've been stimulating the conversation because Pastor Rick said, I want to do this in this community so that we can move this message forward. But that was 10 years ago. And while you put your pride on, realize our relationship from education, I teach at New Life and, and campus and Conway, all those things are there that I was sharing with Neil that he didn't even know. And I said, you know, I have to do a better job of doing that. But as we move to this conversation about racism, one thing I want to talk about the heart of people, because we'll talk about the fruit of the spirit. But I, I, I think it's so important to say when I was comfortable to talk about this conversation, because Pastor Rick and I, several years ago, we taught 42 on, on with Jackie Robinson at all the campuses. That was a, a something that he asked me to do. And I was, I was uh, based on my book, I just wrote Crackback. And so uh, after he read the book, he said, hey man, this is very interesting to do, to do sports in it. And so I did do that. I will be uh, doing addendum to that next year uh, when I, I studied uh, uh, systemic or corporate racism for about 30 years and you know, look, surveying people, looking at things, analyzing data, you know, chi-square analysis, all those type of things that you do. Uh, that was my dissertation in college. And, um, uh, and I learned a lot. And, and what I can tell you about racism and prejudice, which I'll go to in a minute, is it's two different things. They're two different things. But the heart of the individual is what I think is at the root of racism. So when, I, when Neil came in, how long have you been here now? At this campus? Yes, this campus. Yeah. About four and a half months. All right, so it was interesting. Probably after the second month, after being in meetings with him, I felt his heart. You can always, you know, you, 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 the, the people that you get around, you can, you can feel their heart, and you have a, 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 a kindred spirit about it. And I was telling Bronson, I said, it's time. I said, I want Neil to join in on this from a, a theological perspective, a biblical perspective. And I said, I think we can do this because we're trying to teach from two different perspectives. 
See, that's what's so important to understand. We all see things differently. So it wouldn't do something for me to get up here and tell you about something that you can't conceptualize because your experiences don't allow you to do that. So now as we sit here and start talking, and, 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 but I'm going to tell you how that happened. Well, maybe you don't know this, but Bronson included. We have our, 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 our adopted son, Akron. Big A. That's what I call him, Big A. Well, I just observed Neil and his family working with Big A. About four weeks ago, Big A had a problem with wisdom teeth. We could not find anybody no. to, to work on. So I called a friend of mine, dentist, in Cabot. I said, listen, I need you to help me go to Cabot. I immediately called Neil. I said, I got a dentist that will see him. I was doing something out of time. Maybe not a time. I said, but I got a guy that will do it. He said, tell me where to take him. Neil went, picked him up, drove him to Cabot to serve this person who needs, we couldn't meet around here locally, any compassion center or anything. Now, boy, when I saw that, I just, I, I, he didn't have to do that. Because here's the deal. There wasn't a long line waiting to go do that. You know, but because of relationship, I felt comfortable asking. Then if you see Big A after church, you'll see he got his first haircut. <laughs> you know who did it? You know who took him? My man. My, I, I didn't do it. We took him to the place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't cut his hair. So, hey, and now that we're talking, you went to the barbershop. Tell about that experience. Oh, man. my gosh. Now, 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 he's out of his comfort zone. He took him to yeah. a barbershop. Y'all yeah. seen the movie Barbershop? <laughs> that's what, that's... It that's was it. Oh, yeah. That's no, that was, it was, I mean, it, so you're outside your comfort zone, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uncomfortable. But so I don't, we walked in. I took Akron in there, and I walked in, and they, they were like, they said, you in the right place? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I think maybe, yes. <laughs> but it was so nice to sit there and just be immersed in the culture of it and also realize there is, there is uh, there's a lot I have to learn. Right. And I just sat there and hung out and talked to some of these guys, and, and Akron got a haircut, and he walked out of there and smiling from ear to ear. Yep. He, was, he, wanted a, he wanted a high fade. Now, think wanted. about that. High fade, high, yeah. high fade. See, he already getting the terminology <laughs> right now. High fade. high fade, high fade. I said, you, you want know, some lines go, or no? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, but, but here, that's my point. See, when that's intentionality of getting outside your comfort zone. All right? Whereas oftentimes, as a minority, you do that every day. It's just part of, of who you've become. I mean, and so, but now for him, that's the first time I'm certain that he's done that. And so, just think about that. So as, as we talk about this topic, I want to say, as I mentioned, the difference between prejudice and racism, what we look at, that the unconsciousness of bias is complicated. Let me give you a story, all right, to, 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 to understand the dilemma, why this is so toxic. When I wrote Crackback, let me tell you, I took a little heat because I had I'm actually be in San Jose because the co-author of my book is going into the Hall of Fame. He's one of the best writers in the country, Mark Purdy. Very conservative, Catholic, but we had a kindred spirit of each other. And I said, Mark, will you help me co-author my book? We're at dinner. Now, he used to write negative things about me as a head, of football, as a head football coach in San Jose. Very critical, but he was a good person. So I didn't ever take it personal. So I said, Mark, will you help me write my book? He said, let me think about it. 
He said, well, why do you want me to help you? I said, because I know the problem perceived from African-Americans, but I want to know the problem from the white community. I said, I want to know how, why this is such a conflict. Well, it took us six years to get it into what we both were comfortable with. It. That's how complicated it was. We just couldn't sit down and write a book and just come up with it. It took us that time. Well, think about this. So I shared this with Neil two weeks ago. This is, yeah, this is last weekend. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. happened, what he's about to tell you happened yeah. last weekend. So two weekends ago, two Fridays ago, Every Friday evening, I, I go to Sam's to buy uh, uh, breakfast bars for Sixth and Gold, okay, for our kids. So like I was sharing earlier, that Aisha, she knows I come by to school. But as I was sharing with her is that I go at, eight, I go at 745, 8 o'clock because the line's so long during the day so I can get out of there by 815 because nobody in line. So I get my bars. I come get back into – I've learned from Bronson, please make sure you always put your buggy back in the stall. But he said that's his biggest, Bronson, that's his biggest pet peeve, to see people get their bug and just leave it on the side, all right? And so that and parking in handicapped spot because my mother couldn't, was handicapped for 30 years. All right, so I go the other day, give you an analogy. I had parked my car. I had unloaded the breakfast bars in my trunk. So I go because of Bronson. I push my buggy. <laughs> this is on you. Yeah. I push my buggy, cross over here. And my car was parked right there. So as I push my buggy right there, I'm walking right back to my car, just ready to go. 8.30, dust dark, it's right there, 8.15. Well, I'm walking, so I walk. A white female is between me and my car, and because I'm walking right towards her, ah, she starts screaming. I said, hey, ma'am, 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 that's my car. Oh, sir, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. So I'm hurt. I'm grieving. I don't know really what to say. So I said, okay, Lord, how am I handling this? So I got in my car. I didn't say anything. I said, no problem. I know what I felt. So I sat in my car, closed my door, and I said, why did she feel that way? Is it right? Is it fair? Now, or is it real? Now, according to social scientists, there's a definition for that. It's called rational discrimination. What is real, however you decide, that's a term based on facts. Understand, feelings are not facts. Facts are facts. See, we let our feelings control us. So when I sit there, and we'll talk about the fruit of the spirit, because I sit there and say, Okay, how am I going to respond? So I tried to think with two daughters, how would they have responded to a skinhead or somebody who they felt fearful of and why? So I don't know if there's an answer to that, and that's why we're having this conversation today to understand the different feelings of everybody and why this is such a sensitive topic that we must address, and that's why we realize that the only way we can address this is from a biblical perspective. See what I'm saying? To understand, and here's what I know, is that, yes, I'm an advocate. If you know, as he said, I've spoken all over the country about black coaches, NCAA, I've done this for years. 
But what I realized, and Neil said it best this week when, when we were discussing, he said, most people are looking for answers, but most people are not looking for the truth. <laughs> see, we, see, because when we're looking for answers, we're looking for what we want to find. But the Bible, biblical justice is truth. And then the social justice movement, from my perspective, on the biblical, is that that's where the basis should come from. And long as we can align, like I, I've, I've had some conversations and people say, well, I disagree with that. I said, well, hold on. You're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with the word. Because this is where I'm rooted. I said, now, if, if I misinterpret the word, please correct me. I stand to be corrected, and I'm not a, a biblical theologian. That's why we, I refer to Austin and Neil and Bronson when it comes down for interpretation, but I know the Holy Spirit can help me conceptualize the word and process the word. So, you know, a perfect example of this is I've had friends come in and say, well, Fitz, I don't see you like other people. I, I, I don't see race. I'm sure if you, you, you may have heard that before. And I said, really? I, just, I said, you know, even a colorblind person see black and white. Here it comes. I don't see race. Well, describe me and describe him. What would you say? I just see two men. Yeah. Very white. <laughs> so... So you see, I understand. So when, so really, when you say that, you're saying, and Ralph Ellison wrote one of the greatest novels. If you had to Google it, The Invisible Man. So what's saying when you say that, you're really saying, I don't see you. So that's why sometimes interpretation can lead to complication by how you process information. So, and, and, and in most cases, that's why I call it unconscious bias, because you don't even recognize where is that, because that's been your culture. The Barbershop, that movie has, has just resonated, but he just visited last week. <laughs> the intentionality of that, and why? Because he was serving. See, that's the piece that we got to understand, and that's why for my city serve, that's why Asia so the other day, I was over there when we were doing six and go. His, pre, uh, his principal said, we have no water. Yep. I said, what? They closed the water hydrants at, at, at Dunbar. I said, oh, no, we can fix that. Next day on Friday, we had 30 cases of water delivered over there, you know, just because of our city serve to be able to, to make that happen. That's transformation to make a difference. So how can we, as a church, you know, to be in a position to be put in the game for that? And, you know, it's, 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 it's in the eye of the beholder. And, and our experiences shape our perceptions. Our perceptions shape our realities. And our realities, okay, we think are facts until we learn differently. And that's what this topic is about today is to we're not preaching. We're trying to teach because we don't have all the answers and we can't get this done in 30 minutes. It, 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 it will not it will not work. So with that being said, I will say this as Neil brings us a biblical perspective is that in America, 
Racism is probably one of the best taught subjects ever. And I say that because we're not born murderers. We're not born racist. Think about it. Think about the babies. And I'm going to give you this. Austin and his, and his wife came up to me and shared a story about Africa and said their grandbaby, three or four years old, was born as on mission in Africa. And all of her friends were African children. So when they came back to the United States, so she learned the African language to speak Sahili. What, what's, the, what's that? The, so, well, it, it's an African language. She said that when she came here, they were at a restaurant when she came back to America and ordered food. A black male waitress came up, and because of association of race, she ordered the food in, their, in that African language because she saw the black person. Well, what I'm saying is a normal cognitive process that we, paradigm, that we place people in based on our experiences. And unfortunately, minorities, particularly African-Americans, are evaluated collectively because as minorities, you group, and majorities are evaluated individually. So there is a group, a categorization that takes place that you put a group because it's so small. So if you look, 6.7% of the population in the United States is made of African-American men, only 6.7%. So you generalize in that number. So in doing that, there can be some unconscious bias and some things that we don't process until we get out of our comfort zone, but that's why we take it to a biblical conversation, a theological conversation, which Neil is going to expound on. So we we uh, put out there on Instagram and Facebook, and we just said, hey, listen, this past week, if you have questions about racism, we want to do our best to answer. You guys sent a lot of questions, some of them very, very pointed, some of them uh, genuinely asking questions, some of them were, were pretty tough, but... When it comes to race or racism or social justice conversations, they have to be a theological conversation. It has to go there. So one of the questions that kept coming up over and over again was, hey, what does the Bible say about racism? Does the Bible say anything about racism? And in fact, it does. Jesus talks about it. That's why we're doing this series. We're talking about the good news. Is there an answer in the Gospels for racism? And Jesus just hits it uh, pretty, pretty much head on. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37 is what we're going we're gonna to look at this section of scripture. Uh, this is Jesus. He is having a, a conversation. He's in the middle of his ministry. And right here in verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He was, uh, the expert of the law is basically like, imagine like a Bible professor, like a, a legal professor when it comes to rabbinical law. So as far as the Jewish faith is concerned, he's the expert. And it says that he stood up to test Jesus. Really, it doesn't mean like to test him, like to like put him to the test. It, it's, uh, the, the Greek word is actually the same as if you were to test metal to figure out what's in it. So it's not a negative connotation. He just was genuinely wanting to know. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Simple, simple question. Level one question right there. That's a big one. And then Jesus, you notice this. How often does this happen? Somebody asks Jesus a question. What does he do? Gives him another question. You're just like, could we just please not get a, an A, B answer on this? But he says, well, what's written in the law? Why? Because if you're an expert, like, what's written in the law? He says, how do you read it? Because Jesus wanted to have a conversation, not just tell you what the answer is. 
what we are doing here is having a conversation. Do Fitz and I think that we're going to fix racism in 30 minutes? No. But this will be an ongoing conversation. So this is part of our culture of New Life Church. This is going to be a safe place. So uh, he says, what, how, how do you read it? How do you read the scripture? He answered, he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you answered correctly. Jesus replied, he says, do this, and you will live. Now, this, at this point, like, he could have just been like, okay, good answer, got it, and then turned and walked away, but he had to push it. He just pushed it a little bit too far, and he comes back, he goes, having to, wanted to justify, he asked Jesus, he's like, but exactly, like, who is my neighbor? <laughs> Couldn't have left alone. Like, Jesus is turning to walk away, you got out of that one just fine, he goes, but it's like, who exactly is my neighbor? Jesus goes, okay, we want to do this. So he turns back, and he tells him a story. In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. So the way you would get to Jerusalem is you had to come up over this massive hillside. It was really a mountainside coming from Jericho. And you would come over and you could see Jerusalem. It looks beautiful. But on the backside of that hill, on that mountain, it is dangerous. Robbers, thieves, murderers basically were there. And he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, who is also another priest, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That was just basically dressing his wounds. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And Jesus says, which of these three robbers, which, which, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Like, which one is the neighbor? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Do you notice that he doesn't say the Samaritan? Couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. Because there's a reason why he was asking, well, like, who exactly is my neighbor? And the reason why he asked that is because Jewish people and Samaritans were, they were enemies. Racially and religiously, they hated each other, couldn't stand each other. He didn't want this to be the answer. And so Jesus says, all right, so which, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He says, the one who had mercy on him. Couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. Why? Racism is just woven through. This is, a, this is a teaching on racism. Jesus is bringing the one person he doesn't like right in this story. And really what that Samaritan is, is that is a type and shadow of Jesus because he does everything that Jesus would have done. He's an outsider, despised by people, came after everybody else, everybody else failed to meet the need. He went right straight to that man that was hurting, provided for his current needs and his future needs. And this, this lawyer was like, all right, I, I, guess, I guess you got me. Obviously, what this means is our neighbor is somebody that we maybe we don't necessarily agree with. But it's a person who is in front of us who has a need that needs to be met. We, he, he, hit, he hit this briefly. 
um, I've been involved in a bunch of different outreach ministries, things like that. And, and one of them that uh, years ago that I was connected with, we would go and we'd feed people and we would feed what we would consider somebody who's homeless. We'd say, we're going to go feed the homeless. And this organization did not call them homeless. They called them our neighbors. It was that baseline. The homeless, that doesn't make any difference. They're still our neighbors. Why? Because they have an immediate need no matter what. And it elevated everybody. Because at some point, what we forget is that we are all made in the likeness and the image of God. Yes. Genesis one twenty six says it very, very clearly. Uh, I'll read it right here. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Anything uh, other than that, anything other than recognizing that that is how God made us and that's how we should see each other is that we are made in God's image, we are children of God. We are made in his image, and, and we'll get to this a little bit, but the fruit of the Spirit that Fitz is talking about is how we respond. Like that situation, Fitz in that moment had a choice to react or respond, and those are two very different things. Reacting is snap judgment. It's quick. It's fast. Usually, we're not really proud of the way we react. But if we respond, we are slow to listen. We, we will listen, but we will also, we're not going to respond with anger. We're not going to re respond necessarily with words because he could have in that situation. This thing could have gone very differently if, if you respond differently. Right. And just as we echo this to, I said, racism and prejudice... So I, I think it's in, in order to understand the difference because racism and a racist mentality has power to keep you from accessing to, 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 into a situation. And that's the thing I looked at, structural uh, barriers. That's what I said, structural barriers, examining barriers, restricting African-American head football. African-Americans for becoming head football coaches. And, and I was elevated into a situation where as the first African-American head football coach at San Jose State, so I was working in a space that nobody ever looked like that before, looked like me before. So it was almost like double looks. And so, but not, not to mention that you had to like me. I'm not saying that, but racism and prejudice is different because see, I can be prejudiced. And I was sharing with Neil this week and I'm a, as we were talking about this, this topic, I, I, I've, I've learned to, I, I was prejudiced against rap music because of the, of, of the derogatory language that I, that I didn't like my kids listening to, you know, it was just what, because I believe what goes in is who you become, like what you eat. So I listened to some of these lyrics and I said, oh my goodness. So then, you know, we have this ex-felon advisory board that advises me on the research that I'm collecting on violence. And so we had a powwow discussion with them, and I was saying, well, we can't. He said, well, well, Coach, you don't understand. He said, he said, this, you know, you may not like it, but you really need to listen to it. He said, it's, a, it's about an experience that we're talking about with an element of society that pays for it. I said, oh, man. So... For the last two months, and I ask God to forgive me, I've submerged myself into this rap. Because I wanted to understand actually what I was dealing with. And so uh, uh, one of the hottest rap songs right now is My Life, J. Cole, Savage 21. And so I went back and got the lyrics, 
And there were some spiritual elements in there. And there were some things about I'm like this because I don't have a dad. All these things I'm trying to understand because Kobe says first seek to understand before trying to be understood. Well, I think a lot of times in racism and unconscious bias, we have these perspectives, but we don't understand why a person's situation is like it is. They should do better. Lift themselves up. It's not always like that. And so I want Neil, I shared this song. I mean, this song is, is a song that I'm doing a rhetorical critique of because it's so powerful when you look at it. Share your experience because you never heard of J. Cole or Savage no, I mean, I, I, All the time, all the time. Uh, <laughs> No, he made me listen to it right over there in the lobby. Um, and we, hopefully you're asking for forgiveness for me yeah. as well. As we listen to these songs, it's one thing to listen to it, but it's another thing to actually go through the lyrics and understand where they're coming from. But part of this process is you can hear scripture in there, but you can hear hurt. And this is what I, I don't think I understood this. I understand how sports can be a way out of something, but I didn't necessarily see that rap and music and everything that is associated with that is the same type of escape from a bad situation, a bad home life, a bad you know, upbringing, whatever. That's a way out. And they're not, they don't, there's nothing wrong with They don't see anything wrong with that at all. But yeah, it's a cultural thing. But at the same time, you can hear, you can hear the hurt and the pain that is in those lyrics, but it's true. Yeah. Like it's real. It's stuff no, that they're no actually question. dealing with. And so that's what I try to process from understanding rather than judging. All right, so how can I be helpful? How can I be beneficial? How can I be transformational from that? Because from the experiences of, of, of young black men in dealing with this, so I shared with, with Neil another situation that was just almost rocked my world. I had got anxiety when uh, Cynthia called and said, uh, you need to go to Kentucky because they've accused justice of armed robbery. And he was been handcuffed. And they were looking for a gun. Well, it was a mistaken identity. I'm hurt again. Because I know what I've raised my son. I know he doesn't have a So all of these things. And so where did that come from? That when the police officer told him, put the lights on him, pulled him out of his car, sent him to the back, handcuffed him and told him to stand out while he searched his car looking for the weapon. And he sit there and say, I'm not a robber. But the association of that was in the mind. So what did the police think? He's just been accused. So I think it's important to understand the, how toxic this conversation is and what does the police officer think? So it's not like we can come here and just teach this subject and, and think, well, we're going to fix it because the fruit of the spirit has been contaminated. And the, what has been planted and what's coming out now is what we have to speak of in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to try to overcome this negativity. And who better to do that than the church? See, we're looking for, you know, the government can't fix it. We are the, the people. We are. That's who we are. The, the government doesn't exist over here without us. That's who we are. We make up the government. So it's not. And I think a lot of times people say, about, well, the government got it. I say, you know, no, no. We are the people who, who, who have an opportunity to, to, to be transformation. And so I'll let you go before I close. That's right. We, we, we had some of the questions that came in. Just so you know, what are, what are some of the questions that came in? We had people ask, like, what is racism biblically? What is, what is the definition of racism? How is racism taught? 
which I think he definitely hit on. Isn't racism just simply tied back to slavery is a question that came in. I want to read you guys uh, a, um, a section of scripture here because one of the questions that came in is what, have, what is New Life Church's stance on racism? Uh, in the book of Revelation, John actually has, the, God shows him, reveals heaven to him and he writes it down in the book of Revelation. And I want to read to you a section of scripture that maybe you have heard before, but I don't know if maybe you've seen what is really one of the most powerful portions of this scripture. This is Revelation 7, 9. And this is John when he says, he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. There's a couple things that we think of. A lot of us read that and we think, and there were white people and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And that is not what this scripture says because I want you to look at something. They're talking about resurrected bodies. This is heaven. This is when we will have our resurrected body. I want you to think about this. When he, we, uh, I don't know what you think happens when, when we get our glorified bodies, but the way that John describes heaven with your glorified body, your resurrected body, culture is intact. Diversity is intact because it describes different tribes, people, nations, and tongues. In heaven, when we worship we will keep our ethnicity and our originality. We don't just all of a sudden become like all one people, we're, we're all one color, all whatever. That is not what the Bible says. This is very, very clear. When you, you know, you said this like, well, I don't see color. John saw color in heaven. He saw uniqueness in heaven. And I don't know if you know what they're doing, but they are worshiping God together and I am fairly certain that it is not just Hillsong, just white worship, and just English. Just to be fair, that is every tribe, every nation, every tongue, we are not necessarily going to be singing just English. Everyone will have their own. Can you imagine what that will sound like? Don't shortchange heaven. It's going to be better than what you and I think it is. And we get to keep our originality. So I want, if, with, with that, with that in mind, and the fact that in Genesis, God said, let us make mankind in our image, then what is a biblical definition of racism? It's a failure to respect and protect the image of God in a particular race. We need to be respected and protected. And people's tendency to discriminate against other people's, it, it, it ends up becoming something that is, is layered in there, and we don't even realize that we could be failing to respect and protect not just somebody else, but the image of God that they were made as. That's really important. This is bigger than just you or me or our tendencies. This is something that is woven down. It's, it's, it's almost subversive down, deep down below. Get that song out. I want you to play it so they can hear it. But as we wrap this up. And he, 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 this is he, not a J. Cole song. Right, right. <laughs> This is not. Oh, but but what but what he talked about while he's preparing what 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 he's talking about in exclusion factor. You realize like Satchel Paige, the said probably the greatest baseball player ever. When Jackie Robinson, all the this, the best players, and, and I, I was sharing with him, and this is a very sensitive 
topic, as, as people know. But what I oftentimes found is that oftentimes you're not giving access because of, of sometimes, you know, people are insecure of themselves. I mean, so, so because I really believe if you know you can beat somebody, you say, come on, play, because you can beat them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you can play because I'm away. But, but, when, but when you, and, and that's the fruit of the spirit of insecurity oftentimes. We all have insecurities of different things. And so now when somebody who you may not feel comfortable with, you know, it's just like, it's just like I don't like rock. Okay, but it doesn't mean that that's a cultural thing. I mean, that's not, you know, that, uh, and I didn't like rap, but, you know, I like R&B or, you know, jazz or things like this. That's what I'm comfortable with, but it doesn't mean it's right. You know, that's the thing that we're trying to understand. So that's prejudice, where racism becomes where you have power over somebody that you can keep somebody in exclusionary for having access, which was the reason Satchel Page and other major league baseball players never got the access. But listen to how he's saying heaven's going to be. So uh, we go on mission trips every year to the, the Quitos. It's uh, right off the Amazon River. And the strongest worship that I have ever encountered in my life has been here in the jungle. And there was just drums. It was There were no instruments here. I pulled my phone out and recorded this. This is six years ago. And I will, I'll play this often. And I, I don't even know the words. But I want you to listen to this for a second. I don't want to forget that worship, um, I have styles that I like, just like what he's saying. I have, I have things that I, that, I, that I prefer, but what it looks like and what it sounds like when God's people come together and worship in one, in one heart, one mind, one voice, that's powerful. Um, this is the, some of the purest worship that I have, have ever heard, and I need to understand that heaven is not necessarily just going to sound like what I want it to. And in closing, we're going to go to Isaiah 117, and this is what inspires us to move as the keys can come on up and start giving us a little bit. It said, learn to do right. This is the scripture. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Just, that's a game plan. That's what we want to activate this church in Isaiah 117. To do right, not to do what's comfortable. All right? To seek justice, that's not comfortable. To defend the oppressed, to take up the cause of the fatherless. I know that's true to my heart. To take up the cause and the case of the widow, to reach out and touch. And so as you think about that, there's different approaches, but we want to do that in the, in the fruit of the Spirit where there is no law. But remember, in Ecclesiastes, it says there is a time for everything. It's a time to live. It's a time to die. You're going to have to be uncomfortable and grow. You do not grow in comfort. I'm grateful. My great, great, great grandfather, Watson Hill, was born 1828, a slave in East Tennessee. Moved to the South. 
as far as I can know, he was a child. I was telling Neil that was birthed by the plantation owner. At four years old, he was cast out because the mother owner wanted him out. That's as far as I can go back in my history. But I know when I read about him, he would be so proud of the foundation that he laid because of who he was to try to do right and came to Northwest, to Southwest Arkansas and worked to try to create a better life for himself to the fact that my grandfather's name is Freeman Hill. When I go to the cemetery, F-R-E-E-M-A-N, Freeman Hill, they were so happy that he was free. And so the opportunity that God has given us, even though things are not perfect, I realize how blessed we have been and why we must continue to speak on behalf of others. And I think about the civil rights movement, where you had to speak out, where Dr. King, how the church movement really was transformational, taking action. And I was, you know, Neil and I just been talking. And, and sometimes in that, in that I was sharing with him, in, in that moving forward, you had a backlash. And I think that's important to understand because, because as from the 50s, 40s, 50s, and 60s doing segregation, as churches, as buses came by and saw little white kids, I, black kids walking on the roads and passed them by, then finally you get on the bus, you have to go to the back, then you keep saying, well, we want more, we want more. Well, no, we just want equality. Not we want more. We just want what God for everybody. So you know, but 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 now you you want to drive the bus. You want, we we picked you up. I mean, now you on the bus. You're in the back. Well, when Dr. King came in, and I swear I said, when you are weak in the Word, this is what I call biblical justice. He is strong. He can change everything. Just like when Moses went to Pharaoh. He can change everything. So this has been around the world for a very long time, not just in America. That's what I think is important to understand. This is a world issue. So we can't just deal with it in this one context. This is a world issue that's been going on long and long and long. I went to Rwanda. We went over there because of the genocide. Israel, because of the genocide. And I'm looking at that in many senses today because in our community, that's not been discussed. But I, how, how we transform that. And think about this. When Rosie Parks sat down where she wasn't supposed to, she got uncomfortable. The easiest thing to do, going back to the back. Rosie, I'm not getting up today. Her willingness not to give up sparked a movement to say, Okay, you can't, we're not going to ride the bus. You realize what happened? This, of all the civil rights stories, this is the one I tell when I speak on in February, Black History Month. I tell this story. I said, this was a story of meekness, togetherness, who said we're not going to be oppressed because it's not right. This is biblical justice. Sit there and say, we're gotten a, a church like this, gotten a church and said, we're not going to do that. We're going to support Rosie. We're going to carpool they put the taxi cabs up to carpool to give people to get people to their jobs it has such an economic impact on the city that they called dr king in before the judge and told him that anybody uh seen carpooling because of people who were not riding the buses now 
because of the boycott of the oppressed people to have to sit in the back and be dehumanized. He said, we're going to arrest them. You know what Dr. King said? Probably one of the most profound statements I've read in the civil rights movement. He said, judge, you can give us an injunction against our cars, but you can't give us an injunction against our feet. He said, so what we're going to do, you go ahead and do that. We're just going to walk. Who walked? Jesus. He didn't think about that now. And what happened? Even through the crucifixion was the resurrection. And so that's the fruit of the spirit that we must process this through. And if you're uncomfortable with it, we, we want to have further conversation. Pastor Bronson, we're looking at having intentionality nights on this you know, not just to come in here to get 30, 45 minutes on Sunday. But what kind of workshops can we do to better understand each other? So Neil to be able to ask me a question and I'd be able to ask him a question and say, can you help me understand and help me interpret this? To go to a, to, to go to a barbershop next time and say, hey, let me know next time you're going to take Big A to get a haircut. I want to get in on that barbershop conversation. But in all seriousness, when I think yesterday, first service, Dakota been getting with me, our M18 guys, Dakota been with me. I want to coach, I want to go with you to six and goal. I picked him up yesterday morning at 7.30. He went out at Mapleville High School in Southwest Little Rock, little boys. He sat there with those little boys doing their game and a second half you would have thought he was their big brother. He made himself available, and he got outside of his normal deal. And now the coach come up and ask him, will you come help us coach? See, that, that's the process. It was his heart. He didn't go there and say, hey, we want to make things better for you. He just went up there and say, what, what you need? He sat there. He started taking water, started serving. So now it's Coach Dakota. Yeah, see, that's the problem. But that's how Jesus shows up. He doesn't show up with rules and say, well, we want to talk about this. We want to talk about that. He shows up and say, how can we make things better? And that's what our goal is, to be able to do this at New Life. So thank you for, for your, 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 your emails, your questions on social media. We'll continue to do that. Neil will be putting out something and say, did we miss something for the next time that Bronson allocates time for this? We hope to do this every four to six weeks as we continue this conversation. may not be in this setting, but we may just have these things so we can come out and have that discussion as we create that discussion moving forward to provide that type of leadership for our city, state, and whoever knows what God has for us to be. Because as he said, we want our church to look like heaven. And that's what we're working for. It's not going to be easy, but going to the cross and crucified was not easy. Will you please pray with me?